I follow up last Sunday's message with this message today because they really do tie together. Last Sunday was how to be clean in a dirty world. How many of you have been working on it this week? Raise your hand. How many of you have been working on it? Come on, encourage me, please. May I not preach in vain. The second book of Kings is one with the first book of Kings in the Hebrew Bible. It continues the same story, but there is a difference. The glory of Israel now changes to downfall. Don't look it up now, but trust me, 21 times in 2 Kings, you will find a phrase like this, so-and-so did evil. They list the name, did evil. That's in the second book. That's the difference. There was a falling away. The theme is the casting off of restraint. It's a good book because we are experiencing the same thing today. It boils down to disobedience to God, conformity to surrounding nations, and public and private idol worship. Chapter 5 contains one of Elisha's last stories, probably, during the reign of Jehu, the prophet who drove furiously. He is the model for every preacher. <laughs> driving furiously. We're always accused of driving too fast. It's because we've got such a mandate from God to accomplish. Everybody believes that, but a patrolman never yet been able to convince one. But Jehu was the one who drove furiously, and this story occurred probably during his reign. Now, there is an old saying, there is something bad in the best of us and something good in the worst of us. And it is probably very accurate. This chapter gives us a portrait of a man and his blemish. Now, there are other men that we could cite that say the same thing, like King Solomon. In the first book of Kings, chapter 3, verse 3, King Solomon had his only. Listen, Solomon loved the Lord. Sounds great, doesn't it? Listen to this. Walking in the statutes of David his father. Great. Only. He sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Now, I know people like that. They love the Lord. They want to follow in the precepts of their father. But there is an only in their life. That's why it is so important to be regular to church so we can deal with the onlys that develop in us. That is why Paul said in writing to the Hebrew believers, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and so much the more 
as you see the day approaching because there are onlys that come up within us that must be cut off, severed, or they will defeat us. David Boyer, who just sang, had an only. He loved God, has from his earliest recollection. But he had an only, and it almost killed him. He is a walking miracle today. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, a marriage breakup that God put back together, the healing of his voice and his whole being from the only that was in his life. But thank God, Jesus is able to do it. There is in the New Testament such a case when this young man came to Jesus and asked what he must do to be the Lord's disciple. And the Lord said to him, One thing thou lackest. He had kept the commandments. He had been obedient. He had done well. But Jesus said one thing. And that one thing kept him from following Jesus. It's true in this meeting right now with some of you. One thing. Now here in 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Naaman commander of the army, great and honorable man, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. But only one thing, but he was a leper Leprosy was that thing in the Old Testament that spoke of sin, blemish, loathsome disease. And this man had that disease. With all of his medals, with all of his accomplishments, there is that but in the Bible. He had one problem. Oliver Cromwell died in 1658. He was known as the Lord Protector of England. I read something interesting of him. A painter was painting his portrait, and he was wanting to make Lord Cromwell as handsome and as beautiful as he could be because of his prominence and Cromwell stopped him and he said, don't you make me look different than I am. Put on that canvas, wart and all. And he did. You see, we all have a wart somewhere. And God never covers it up. God doesn't hide it. 
I have these young ministerial students come to me. It just drives me crazy when this happens. They come to me and talk to me about Spurgeon. They, they love the writings of Spurgeon, and he was a great man. But, they say, Pastor, did he really smoke cigars? And I have to hang my head and say, yes. The biographers say he smoked cigars. One of the greatest men in theological history. I just can't imagine him sitting over the Word of God with a big stogie hanging out of his face. But the biographer says that was his wart. Just hate it when they come to me like that. One of my other favorites is G. Campbell Morgan. And his daughter became his biographer. And this daughter, can you imagine a daughter doing this to her father? Said, my father had a weakness. And it was suits. He loved suits. And in his biography, his wart was that he possessed too many suits. Can you imagine that? Having more than one. So here we have Naaman, presented as he really was, a great man, courageous, victorious in battle, but a leper. There are a series of S's in this passage of Scripture that I leave with you today hurriedly. First, he was a sufferer, anxious to be cured. Some of you are just like him. You're a sufferer, anxious to be cured. Follow me. Though he had this most loathsome disease, the Mosaic law stipulated that anybody with leprosy was to be put in isolation. Leviticus 13, 14, 15, and verses 45 and 46. They would be put without the camp, outside of where people were, the lepers were to go. And furthermore, they were to cry everywhere they went, unclean, 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 so that people would clear out of their path. This would have been where Naaman would have gone had the leprosy continued. How terrible. Now this man was a man of wealth. An English proverb says that health is better than wealth. It's true. When your health goes, what matters with your wealth? He was a man of wealth, but the former can never buy the latter. No physician could heal Naaman. He could not write out a check for his health. He was a leper, and he was dying of his leprosy, though he was wealthy. There was no hope of being cured until a captive maid from Israel who knew about God and the prophet of God happened to be placed in Naaman's house, helping Naaman's wife. In that unique arrangement, 
She learned of Naaman's leprosy. And one day said to Naaman's wife, there is a prophet in Israel that could heal him of his leprosy. Somebody heard her say that to Naaman's wife. That person told the king. The king decided to write to the king of Israel. How ironical this is. The private must speak to the corporal and he to the sergeant and ride on up to the general. In this process, there was red tape. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, there is no red tape. Everybody can come freely into his presence. You don't have to go through somebody else. You can come straight through to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what we've come here to do today. You don't have to go through Mary. Don't have to go to Colfax. Don't have to stand in long lines. People are so gullible. God never said that he would manifest his presence through Mary. He would do it through Jesus. Now, if Jesus is seen, I want to be there. Let's not be tricked, friends. Aberrations are everywhere. We've come to see Jesus today. As much as I love Mary and thank God for her willingness to be what she was, someday I'm going to give her a big hug, but until then I've got better things to do with her son, Jesus. Now that you came to church, aren't you glad you heard that so now you're, you've got all your questions answered about that thing up the hill. Now you don't have to go stand in the morning cold. <laughs> that wasn't even in my notes, but I'm glad I said it anyway. With Jesus, you can just come right on in. We have a high priest who's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was wealthy, powerful, but he was a leper. And nobody could help him but the preacher, when are people going to learn that preachers are more important than politicians? Somebody said to Billy Graham once, why don't you run for the presidency? He said, I wouldn't stoop to that. That's the way I feel. I wouldn't stoop to that stuff. Take him to the prophet. Nine o'clock, eleven o'clock, six o'clock, Wednesday night, through the week. Take him to the prophet. Get to the church. Get to the man of God. Doesn't matter how many onlys or buts you've got in your life. Jesus is able. And that's all we've got to give you. It's Jesus. He was a sufferer who needed a cure. Secondly, he was a scorner, angry at the means of the cure. Some of you get mad at God. Congratulations. You're biblical. The Bible tells us that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world. And people get angry when we preach 
the gospel. Naaman got angry, scornful. He felt slighted by Elisha's discourtesy. But God had a valuable lesson to teach to Naaman, and that was, with God there is no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter how long your medals are. Doesn't matter how much you've got in the bank. God is no respecter of persons. Naaman was not a great man who happened to be a leper, but a leper who happened to be a great man. And you could be a sinner who just happens to be a great man, but you're still a sinner, a leper in the sight of God. Naaman wanted his position, wanted his power, wanted his possessions to be taken into account, and God said, it doesn't matter to me. You see, the Bible says, I thought he will surely come out to me. Look in verse 11. Elisha didn't even come out of the house. He sent a messenger out. Boy, that irritated Naaman. Rich and poor alike are equal in God's sight and should be in our sight. The prescription was handed to him on a plate by Elisha's servant. Here it is. And what a message. Go and dip seven times in Jordan. <laughs> oh, was he offended. Scornfully angry at the means of the cure. Naaman wanted Elisha to strike his hand over the place. Verse 11 says, you know what that means? It means he wanted him to act like a magician. Just wave his hand as like the magic wand. Just wave your hand and the leprosy will disappear. We are in that exact state of affairs today. People want the occult. They go, they go to these magic shops. They go to all these people who can read their palms and they go out gauging their life on the horoscope and all of this occultish nonsense. Wave your hand. No, sir. No, sir. You're going to come the way everybody else comes, humbly. Humbly. Seeking the cure. Seeking the deliverance that is needed. His servants were wiser than he was. In verse 13, they said to him, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. And they were right. And man... That must have cut right through his heart. Can you imagine his servant standing? Now, Naaman, listen to us. If the prophet had had you do some great thing, you'd have done it. So why don't you do this? Thank God for people who see things better than we do sometimes. There is salvation in no other name. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved can wave all the magic wands you want to. But it's by humility and through faith that you find the cure. He was a scorner, angry at the means of the cure. Thirdly, he was a skeptic who finally accepts the remedy and is cured. Verses 14 through 19. Overcoming his anger... And that's what some of you need to do. He began to listen to reason. I, I don't like it when people get angry with me, but they do. They send me hate mail. And I get death threats. And 
I guess anybody preaching the gospel in this hour is going to be in that boat, and I receive it gladly if that be the case, because the gospel makes people angry. The message of the cross is an offense. People do not like being called sinners. The homosexuals don't like me to say they're sinners. The lesbians don't like me to say you're a sinner and you're going to hell unless you repent. But I would be no friend to a murderer, a thief, a lesbian, a homosexual, anybody the Bible says is a sinner to say you're all right, just play it cool. What kind of a friend would I be? Or anybody who claims to know Christ and the gospel to treat people like that. If they've got cancer, you better tell them. If they've got leprosy, they'd better know it. We need to hear again, whosoever is not found written in the Lamb's book of life is cast into the lake of fire. That's dangerous business. And this skeptic worked his way through that in this passage. And finally accepted the remedy for his leprosy and was immediately cured. Verse 14, I just, you see, I've been to these rivers. I've been in Damascus before it was in so much problem. I stood at the far par river and I looked at that thing and I thought, Naaman, why in the world were you so anxious to be uh, here, dipping, rather than in, they didn't look any different to me. They were both dirty. I've been at the Abana. Uh, uh, why would he not want to dip in the Jordan as against this river? You know the difference? Because they were in his community. And he didn't want to go over the line. Thank God when skepticism comes crumbling down, and we are willing to say, okay, God, whatever it takes, I'm going to get up out of my seat and I'm going to come down to that railing and I'm going to say before hundreds of people, I give up my blemish, I give up my only, I surrender Jesus. Amazing what happens when we do that. So he comes to the Jordan finally. He just, I, and he's gritting his teeth. I just don't think he enjoyed that one bit. He looks at that river and doesn't see anything possibly good out of that, except he's just finally, through his skepticism, he says, well, I'm dying, I might as well go, he pro the prophet may be real, so I'm, I'm going to go do it. And he, he dips down, and that dirty old water covers him, just drips down over his hair and everything, and yucky. And he looks, and he's white as leprous could be, and he dips again, and he comes up, just the same thing three, four, five, six times and he comes up and he's just as leprous as ever. But the prophet said dip seven times, didn't he? So he goes down one more time and he comes up and his flesh was as clean as a newborn baby because he did it God's way. Do you want to know why prayers are not answered? Because we don't do it God's way. You want to know why some people are not delivered? Because they don't do it God's way. They want to do it their way. They want to go to their river. They want to do it in their timetable. He's cured. He's converted. 
He makes an open confession. And I ask you, wasn't it worth it to do it God's way? Look at verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God. He and all his aides, he came back to church. Hallelujah. And came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth. What a testimony. Except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. See, when you get converted, you want to give. That's one of the first signs. When you're really converted, you want to give. Let me give something to you. And the man of God said, No way! I'm not going to take anything for what God did. Thank God for that, too. And then we look at the fourth S, and it doesn't have to do with Naaman. It has to do with a man by the name of Gehazi, and this S is scoundrel. A scoundrel acts dishonestly and is cursed, and there are scoundrels all over the church world today acting just like Gehazi. Naaman's conversion was real. As Gehazi approaches, he dismounts to greet him, a mere servant. Naaman freely gives to Gehazi because of his change of heart. And when Gehazi comes back to Elisha, Elisha said to him, Is this a time to receive? He didn't want Naaman to think that religion was a money-making business. He wanted him to learn of God's free gift. Gehazi had gotten Naaman's money, and now he is afflicted with Naaman's leprosy. I want to be a prophet in this pulpit today. If there is any ministry that is in it for the money, it will perish with leprosy. If there is a preacher who's in it for the money, he'll perish with leprosy. I'm not meaning the kind that will show on your skin. It'll show up in many ways, and it's destructive whatever way it shows. There are people out there who have a legitimate gripe. You can't be in it for the money. Now it takes money to keep these lights on and the air conditioning running. It takes money to run this ministry and a lot of money. But nobody here is in it for the money. I'd do this whether I got paid or not. I mean that. Because... It's what God has called me to do, and I do it with joy. It's not because of money. I could make a lot more money doing other things. And if you don't want us to take offerings, then, sir, you write out the check for what it costs, and I'll be glad to pass that part of the service by. Smile. Come on. It's all right. You want to write out the check gladly. But on the other hand, I wouldn't want to deprive everybody here of the joy of giving. And by the way, isn't it easier if we all do our part, everybody come under the same heading, one-tenth is the Lord's and our offerings above that, and become like a Laterno who gave 90% of the Lord's work and lived off the 10% because the 10% was a lot more than most everybody had with 100%. Wouldn't that be great if we'd all do that? There wouldn't be any complaining. We don't ask for offerings and money here because anybody's getting rich off of it. We do it because there's a world out there that's lost and we've got to reach them. We have over 100 ministries flowing out of this church 
that must be supported, and we give you an opportunity to support them. Nobody's getting rich. If we are, we will perish with that money. That's why I can preach this with such fervor, because I know it's not the case. But there are some out there, I'm afraid, we have a right to judge. And I am waiting for them to repent. Lest leprosy hit, like some of them have already discovered, and the foundations are torn away. He came back to the prophet of God, came back to where the blessing flowed from, and was willing to give. But this scoundrel Gehazi, he lived the rest of his life with the same leprosy that Naaman had been healed of. You can go out of here in one or two ways. You can go out of here like name and heal because you accepted the grace of God, or you can go out of here skeptical and a scoundrel like Gehazi because some way you looked at this thing through different eyes. I challenge you to come Naaman's way. Now, Colonel Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame that some of you are real anxious to go see here in a few minutes. He grew up in a God-fearing home. He was taught to tithe, and he did that all of his life. Yet he knew somehow in his heart that he probably wouldn't make it to heaven because he, was a, he, was a, he had a foul mouth, and he was really a, an ungodly man. Yet he tithed regularly for many, many years. And one day on the street of Louisville, Kentucky, my friend, fellow pastor, before he passed away, Wayman Rogers, stopped the colonel and invited him to uh, one of the evangelistic services that were going on in his church. And a few nights later, Colonel Sanders showed up in his white suit and his goatee. And he, that night, received Jesus into his heart. Seventy-nine years old. And this is what he said. When I walked out of that church that night, I knew I was a different man. All my tithing and good deeds had never given me the sense of God's presence that I knew then. He did it God's way. And then I have read that after 75 years of age, only one person in 700,000 people ever come to Christ. And I think of the miracle of Colonel Sanders. Only one out of 700,000 after age 75. Why is that? Because we get like Naaman. We want to do it in our river. We want to do it our way. We haven't got time for church because we haven't had time all of our life. We haven't got time for God. I've had them say that to me. I've lived all of these years without God, and I'm just going to go the rest of the way that way. What a stupid thing to say. But they get hardened. Do you know that before 25 years of age, 19 out of 20 converts are that age, 19 out of 20, before 25. After 25, 1 in 10,000. After 35, 1 in 50,000. After 45, 1 in 200,000. After 55, 1 in 300,000. After 65, 1 in 500,000. After 75, 1 in 700,000. That's it. How old are you? How long are you going to wait? Every day you wait, possibilities get less and less that you're ever going to make a change. Unless you're willing to go to the river and get down humbly like he did and let it flow into your life. 
I was reading this morning in Luke chapter 6. In fact, I read the whole passage out loud in my, my private time. And I came across verse 19 in Luke 6. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Speaking of Jesus. And I just bowed my head. I said, Jesus, I want that. I want power to flow out of me. I want power to flow out of this ministry to heal people. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, well, it's in the message. Get rid of the blemish. Get rid of the but and the only and the one thing. And there'll be more power than you'll know what to do with. And I thank him for it. I believe it. What are you holding back? God knows what it is. Someday the whole universe will know because everybody will confess. So in church today, he lets us come together and what a wonderful thing to be able to do, to deal with the only, to deal with the one thing, to deal with the but in our life that will rob us of what we really want, what we really need. I'm ready to go to the Jordan. How about you? I'm ready to dip. I want to come up whole. Let's stand together all over the building. Nobody leaving now for just a few moments. Bow your heads with me as we stand. God, by your Holy Spirit, seal this message in the hearts of people. Help us to see the power there is available in Jesus Christ for the meeting of our needs. But we have to humble ourselves. Blessed are the humble in spirit. While our heads are bowed, you may ask, what do I need to do, Pastor? It's almost like you know me. I've come here before and you talk to me every time. Somebody's told you about me. That happens always in church like this. I don't know you, perhaps. I don't know anything about you. Nobody has told me anything about you. The Holy Spirit just takes the Word of God. That's the miracle of preaching. And He zeroes it in on your need and says it's time for you to respond. What blemish do you need to bring to the altar? What one thing is it that's holding you back? As Pastor Randy begins to lead us in a song, I want to challenge you to do what Naaman did. It's not a river, it's a railing. I want you to walk out of where you are standing down to this railing and stand down here. We're going to pray together for the victory in your blemish, in your only, in that one thing that is holding you back from being the man or woman or boy or girl that God intends you to be. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come today. No matter what your age, if he's dealing with you, it's time. It's time. You step right out. Come right down. Stand right here by this railing as we sing together.